Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Piyush. And this is Level Up UA. All right, Adam, you must be excited for this one. This is Live Ops, uh, your territory. This is my bag. This is my bag. I like this. <laughs> All right, what are Live Ops uh, for a person who is just, you know, very, very new to, to the world of gaming and product? Okay, so, so Live Ops is effectively bringing users back into the game. It's, it's retention. It's trying to any way that you can be able to bring users and create stickiness in your game. That makes sense. Uh, who is our guest today, Adam? Okay, so our guest is Tom Hammond. He's the CEO and co-founder of UserWise. UserWise is a third-party platform that does uh, a lot of live ops functions um, that companies are able Perfect. to use. Perfect. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay, hi Tom. Um, welcome on the show. It's great to have you on here with us. Um, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Yeah, it's fun. I host the Mastering Retention podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm not on this side of the table too often. But uh, yeah, I'm Tom Hammonds. I'm one of the co-founders of a company called UserWise. Uh, we basically built out a live ops platform to help games uh, actually be able to operate their games kind of over the air seamlessly. And uh, previously, started a company called Theorem Reach, doing rewarded surveys, which led to a lot of uh, work with mostly monetization and stuff. But uh, of course, that led to, you know, everything that happens when you work with games, live ops, retention optimization. So worked with a, a lot of folks, kind of large and small. But yeah, these days, uh, really heavily focused on uh, just helping games operate their games better, make more money, make their users happier, etc. Just a ask the same question as we had a little chat before this. When you say live ops, live ops seems to be a, a very murky title. Can you just explain exactly what it is that you cover? Yeah, well, I mean, our, our platform is really designed in such a way of games move so fast that uh, if you can't react instantaneously to what's going on with your players, uh, you're just going to get left behind. And so we've kind of built out a platform that allows you to schedule specific campaigns so that this group of players gets this content at this point in time, whether it's an offer or an event or a message or whatnot. You know, we also give you the flexibility to build out, you know, different configurations for like your game's economy. Maybe one group of players gets this economy and you're paying players who needed a completely different uh, progression curve because otherwise they uh, get all messed up. Um, so lots of different things that you can kind of kind of control. But the general idea is you should be able to control just about everything over the air with user-wise in your game. So, you know, kind of your tech team builds the features one time integrates it with user-wise and then kind of passes it off to your operations team and then your you know dev team can move on to the next feature of things. Uh, Tom, does it make sense that I call them as trigger points instead of live ops in the sense that are these trigger points for a set of audience? Like, uh, let's, uh, let's take an example. Like if a user has reached level five, you want to send them a message at that point in time and the distribution channel becomes emails and push notification or whatnot. But it's still a trigger when a user does a certain level or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, everything in user wise is built on this idea of segmentation. 
you know, we do have triggered campaigns in the case of, you know, when the user hits Arena 10, maybe they get the, you know, welcome to Arena 10 offer. But we also have just scheduled things that happen too. So, you know, your weekend event, but that of course can be segmented too. So those level five players might get an easier version of the event than your level 50 players. The rewards could differ too, you know, things like that. And what do you think is the crossover? I mean, uh, again, I come from a UA world. I come from a growth marketing world. So for me, like, just want to understand because when live ups are not working well for that week, my numbers are not doing great in terms of retention and other stuff. So <laughs> from a UA standpoint, just wanted to understand what is the crossover between UA and live ops uh, for, for growth managers? I'm interested in your opinion in this one because I come from a... <laughs> I come from like the product perspective and then I had live ops and I had uh, PUs from user acquisition and there were, you know, it's the, there are quite a few crossovers there. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what you, what you have to say on that. I would say first and foremost, live ops is super important in your game, right? Like most games beyond like your fully ad driven or hyper casual games make at least 50 to 60% of their revenue through these live ops activities. And the reason that's important is it is way cheaper to operate your game, giving new interesting content to your players than it is to try to go and make a new game altogether. Like it's very difficult to just launch a new game and find success with it. So when you have a game that has success, live ops allows you to capitalize on the total amount of potential that your game has by extending its life cycle, extending that LTV. But it's never going to really fix a game that's broken. So, you know, when I talk to people a lot, I say, okay, well, uh, let's pick like a basic game. Maybe you've got uh, a million monthly active users with like 100,000 daily active users and, you know, relatively low five cent ARP DAO. Now, if you do live ops right, ideally we can increase that ARP DAO to maybe like seven or eight cents. And maybe we can have a little bit more exciting stuff for players to come back to. So instead of just 100,000 daily active users, now maybe it's 150,000 that are coming back. And instead of people churning after day 30, maybe we can get the average out to like day 60 or something like that. Kind of overall increasing that LTV because players are sticking around for longer. They're doing a little bit more in the game. And hopefully the things that they're doing also kind of generate some revenue. You're increasing your like 152,000 to 250 or 350,000 a month. Um, while not really changing your audience that much. It's all about the retention though, right? It's all about bringing the users back to the exactly. game. I mean, like we, want- we want something fun and interesting, right? Like we want to feel like we're learning things. We want to feel like there's something to look forward to. Like if I'm just coming back to the same game, maybe I really enjoy the game mechanic. And that's where it's important because the player does need to enjoy the game mechanic. So like, uh, let's take like League of Legends Wild Rift. That is a amazing game. I am astounded at what they've been able to translate into like mobile controls because it it just knows what I actually want it to do like 90% of the time. It's amazing. And so, you know, if I didn't have that, like if it was like a clunky experience, like playing the core game or whatnot, Live Ops wouldn't do anything for it. It it would just fail. But once you've got that fun game that players want to come back to and enjoy Live Ops, increases it. So, you know, instead of playing 
two games a day or one game a day, maybe I play three or four in that game because I want to get those like extra little rewards and things like that. You know, live ops enables them to maybe I would always play master Yi, but live ops is like, Oh, well you got to play a tank to get this special reward. So like I play some more champions and I get exposed to different things. And by playing more champions, that ties into League of Legends monetization, which is like, oh, I'm actually like really good at Mundo. Like maybe I should pick up a Mundo skin or, oh, now I've got to play a mage. Oh, maybe I'll, you know. And so it gets you exposed to different things by doing a little bit more, pushing the players out of what they would normally engage in, which ultimately will lead to more monetization and hopefully more engagement too. Like I consider the battle pass to be part of like live ops. So we've got like a battle pass part of our platform. Fundamentally, most battle passes are the same. <laughs> so, you know, it makes sense for us to build it once and then everyone can mostly just follow that same sort of framework. But the battle pass, like it's not really about monetization, right? It's about engagement. If I bought it, I kind of have this sunk cost of like, well, I better come back and like play and, you know, get the full rewards and stuff that are in there. Yeah, you don't want to waste it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's kind of live ops in a nutshell, which I think is important to think about before we get into UA and how that ties in there. Now, oh, I was just going to say, you know, in terms of how it ties to UA, I think there are really useful and interesting ways that you can actually tie live ops to UA if it's done right. But it also depends on it, the game and the genre and like the live ops events and things that you're doing, because uh, a lot of games like like take Candy Crush. OK, I don't even get any sort of live ops events until I'm like so far into the game that like trying to tie it into UA, I think, is relatively pointless unless they start introducing stuff sooner because like if i download the game based on this christmasy looking candy crush thing and then i get in and there's nothing going on for me until i hit like level 100 or something is that really going to affect yeah to take the scenario that you gave earlier with um wild rift if you were to run user acquisition campaigns with the different characters in each of the campaigns and then obviously there's a parameter within that URL that goes through to the game that gets picked up and it changes the tutorial character or something that, I mean, that doesn't really fit with Wild Rift, but you know what I mean? It gives you the character that you chose within that ad kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, we, we actually do that with a Disney game that with because we can build segments on the data that they have on players. One of the data pieces we call attributes, your player attributes. And so you can have an attribute for like the ad ID. So they, you know, pass in the ad ID for Simba and then and Princess Jasmine or whatnot. If they come in with the Princess Jasmine segment, she'll be the character that they unlock at the end of the tutorial. We've also tested around some ideas of giving players more flexibility. So like after you complete the first time user experience, they we pop up a segmented survey that says, you know, which of these characters would you like to unlock for chapter one? And if they say Jafar, they get Jafar at the end of completing chapter one. So again, how do I get the players to play more, be a little more player driven in terms of that experience or whatnot? So yeah, I think you can absolutely tie them into those things, depending on how you think about live ops and stuff too. Like Wild Rift, I'm... I recently played that game a lot and we did a podcast episode about it. So it was fun. But I, I, it. I actually had to uninstall it from my phone recently because I was like, okay, 
getting obsessed here. <laughs> but in, in Wild Rift, they do a very interesting type of live ops, which I've seen a few games do, and I, I would like to see this more. But basically, most live ops, when I think about it, are like scheduled campaigns. So like this thing's going to last for a week or whatnot. But once you start playing Wild Rift, once you complete the initial like first time user experience, they like put you into this like new player event thing. And it's not time based. And as you complete it, you unlock like new heroes and champions and stuff like that. Now, that event could easily be segmented to the point where like whatever ads or champions or heroes or whatnot you saw in the ad, those are the ones that you unlock like as part of it. And live ops could definitely drive you towards that. Or, you know, maybe we showed you a super powerful hero, like, I don't know, Garen. I don't know, maybe he's not that powerful, but we'll, we'll use Garen as an example. He was the one that was featured in the ad, and he's now the, like the big reward for completing this full, you know, live ops new player event in Wild Rift because. Really, what I want you to do, or even, is in. or even changing the alignment of the tiles, exactly, you know, all, yeah, the, you all of the character tiles. You could have the one that you saw in the ad at the top left, so you know it's it's more prominent. You guys are getting obsessed over a game. Let's bring back to the. <laughs> no, it's uh, so it's I, I want to understand from you, Tom, because I haven't played it, so I'm not able to understand this. But <laughs> you know, I want to bring it back to that delicate spot when you say that the product has to speak for yourself before you trigger live off events. Like you cannot just trigger live ops on level one, level two, or whatever that when a person reaches the lobby for the first time. So what is that delicate point when you say the project is speaking for itself and now we extend, we sort of give it a boost through live ops. How, how do you balance that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm more of the mind of like live ops isn't going to save your retention and stuff. And now some people will disagree with me on this. And I think that's great. But I think about, so my, my wife has been playing Two Dots a lot lately. And so I, I finally decided to try that game a little bit. And I, I'm really no good at puzzly games or whatnot. Um, but in Two Dots, and I don't know what their monetization is exactly looks like, but I'm guessing it's heavily ad-based. Because when mm -hmm. I play a level, and mind you, I hate ads, and I never watch ads, but I always watch the ads before Two Dots for a couple reasons. First off, because I want to beat the level so that I can gloat in my wife's face. That's mostly why. Um, and two, like there's I, I have probably like, you know, a 10 percent chance of beating a level. And so watching that ad maybe increases it to 20 percent. So like I do that before every level. But I don't maybe play that many levels per day. Maybe it's like three. And so if you look at their player base and if most of them are like me, I would assume that they're not. But pretend for a moment that they are. Everyone plays three levels and they watch three ads per day, maybe like a three cent ARP hour, a little bit less with proper live ops. I can come in and say, OK, well, if you collect X number of green squares or something like that, maybe I need like 100 of them. And I see that players on average get 20 per gameplay. That yeah. would be like a live ops thing where it's like, OK, well, if I just play two more games, I'm already at 60. I might as well complete it so that I get that special power to like unlock stuff so I can win, you know, more levels or whatnot. Now I play two more levels. I watch two more ads. My ARP DAO increases by like 40% or on that. But it's a big jump in revenue and the player's not really doing that much more, but it, I'm like encouraged to do like just a little bit more. That's, you know, one aspect that you can do. If you look at like homescapes 
and I think Homescapes is like a masterclass in how to do live ops because they focus in on the player and the player's lives and how the game actually integrates into their lives, right? So if you look at their events during the week, they're very minimalistic. It's like literally you come in, you play a couple games and you get some like cool rewards. And it's it's almost like, well, why wouldn't I log in and play like a level because I know I'm going to get this like free stuff. So it's like, I'm just wasting that stuff if I don't log in and do that. Great live ops, right? And it's, it's yeah. not a crazy time burner either. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite simple, simple to, to do, do during it. the week when I don't have a lot of time. And it's like a little de-stress after the kids go to bed or whatnot. But then on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, I've got lots more free time. You look at their events, they're much harder and they're much more punishing. Where it's like, okay, you've got to win 10 levels in a row to get this like really yeah. big prize or whatnot. And I tell you what, the pressure gets on like you're eight levels in and now you've got a plus five moves and you can see, oh, I'm, I'm so close to winning. I don't want to start again from zero and, you know, go all the way up. So I'll just spend a little bit, beat this level, go on to nine, ten and you got to have the right ebb and flow and you got to know when your players have time and how that integrates into your, their lives. You got to understand your user base better. But uh, Tom, you said that, uh, you know, live ops, you don't believe that live ops is, I mean, the objective of live ops is not to have better retention. What do you think would, if you have, you have to generalize, I, I know it will, it will have a very structured answer, but what do you think would, it, it would be the objective? Of I live guess ops? maybe I, I wouldn't say that it's not to have better retention, but like it's it's not going to save a game that doesn't have retention. And when I say retention, I mean like early game retention. Like if you've got like 20% D1 retention in a, a game genre that normally has like 50 or 60% among like top performers and you're like a long, you know, depending on where you're at, like no amount of live ops is going to be able to save that because you don't have any players to like fix everything. give yeah. new things too, right? That's just, you're just being polite. Basically, Tom is saying if the product is bad, I can't do anything with live ops. Exactly. <laughs> you like... you got to have a good, a good baseline. you got to have a good foundation. Agreed, yeah. And then live ops helps you build that you know, castle on top of it. But that, that's that's where the three elements really come in is the, the product, the underlying product has to be has to be good to begin with. Then you've got the user acquisition, which brings in the users, which you have to be very good at what you do, Piyush, to bring in the, the quality users. And then you've got the live ops side of it that has to be very good in order to keep those users within the game and keep them spending and, and turning over. Exactly. And it really is a, a triangle. It, it's, uh, yeah which is quite incredible when it gets done right. I'm actually quite fascinated with this idea of like, you know, how do we make a better experience using live ops tools and platforms and stuff like user-wise combining with UA? You know, because you think about UA, right? And and most people tote like, oh, I've got 40% D1 retention. Like, this is amazing. But in my mind, like, we have completely failed 60% of our players now, right? Like, it, it's not like it's easy to get someone into a game right like how many installs per million do we have so for someone to have seen the ad and most people ignore the ads the ad had to be so interesting so engaging that i was willing to click it not only click it but i saw the app store screenshots and i read the description as like oh this seems pretty fun seems pretty interesting and they get in, they actually play the game. Like, what was the big disconnect? Because obviously that had to look fun and interesting 
in the ad and in the Play Store and they get in and we've just failed them so utterly that the gameplay doesn't match what we are showing them. There's like this huge disconnect. So why was there such a big disconnect? I mean, it could also be, uh, it's, a, it's a very rational and logical way of thinking, to be very honest, Tom. But the problem also could be that potentially your targeting was not good on the US side. And that's why you were targeting the set of users who actually sort of just downloaded in the heat of the moment, but they were not actually willing to play the game. And that's where the targeting aspect of UA has to come in and sort of do justice. And then obviously the product speaks for itself and then the live ops come in. So it's, it's between but it's most, the most stages of that can of be judged. You can easily judge most of that by looking at the organic traffic and to see how the organic traffic's performing. Because if the organic traffic is performing well, then you can see you can easily turn around and say, yes, Piyush, you've been buying really bad traffic but, now. But Adam, organic traffic comes in at a very late stage of a gaming studio. Usually it's an organic that is paying the way and paving the way and sort of setting the benchmark saying that these are the users that I want to target. Like organic comes in after two or three years of growing and then you say, okay, yeah, now the brand is big enough for users to start downloading on their own or something like that. So it's the non-organic actually, it's the paid that sets the tone for any games because nobody knows about the game before. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to think about like real world, like real businesses uh, when I'm comparing to things. I, I've never actually had a real business, you know, in terms of making tangible things beyond, you know, tech-based stuff. If I see an ad for, I don't know, like, uh, What's that like Mr. Clean little scrubby pack thing, you know, that you, you use in the, in the bathtub to get rid of all the grime and stuff? I forget the name of it. Magic Eraser. That's what it is. You know, I see an ad for Magic Eraser. That's going to set a certain expectation of what Magic Eraser can and should do. I might go and buy Magic Eraser, but I have an expectation that it's going to actually do what it says that it does. If it doesn't, I'm probably going to return it back to the store very unhappily and, you know, try to get a refund and stuff. So, you know, tangible real world products, I feel like their ads have a much better, okay, I've got an ad for a spoon, it better actually work like a spoon. And I feel like we we get very far away from that with a lot of the the UA type stuff. Like if if 60% of Magic Eraser customers were disappointed and angry that it didn't actually work, I just... Again, out of 60%, I'll say like almost 20, 30% maybe just the target brown. But the other thing is also you have to understand, as as you perfectly mentioned with the case of uh, Magic Razor, like, you know, at the end of the day, if I am seeing an ad for 30 seconds, or maybe I'm just looking at an interstitial ad, which stays there for five seconds, and I take a decision in the heat of five seconds. I'm literally looking at a game and I'm downloading a game on the basis of five seconds visual that looked appealing to me. At the end of the day, when you're actually playing the game, it's an extended version of what you actually saw. And that's when you don't enjoy it. So you have to understand that you're actually looking at the glimpse of the game in the creative from which you're downloading. And then eventually when you're downloading, the game speaks to you in a different way. And maybe just we are showcasing as an advertiser, we are showcasing the best place of the game that comes at level 15 and the user won't even reach level 15 because they're like, oh shit, the level one is bad. At the same time, live ops can be sub-meta games that are held within the main game, right? You could have some form of, of sub-game that you're advertising is all around this new sub-game that you're bringing in, and it's not actually about the main meta of the game. So in which case, somebody may install that game and then think, oh, you've actually misled me because it's not exactly what it was supposed to be, which there's been cases on that quite a lot in the past. So it, you've got to think that the UA guys, are, are their sole purpose is to try and bring as much traffic into the game as they possibly can. I mean, obviously good traffic. 
I mean, Tom, you somehow put me in the spot and I'm trying to defend you. But let's move on to live ops. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my bigger question also I wanted to understand from you. Look, in the growing world, and I wouldn't say I was I just iOS 14.5. I'll say that the world is moving towards a more privacy-focused world, right, in the, in, the, in the proper sense. Do you see live ops getting affected by the privacy-focused world that we are going to step into? Because especially with the distribution channels, because push notifications, people are starting to pause it. Emails, they're not giving it to you and sort of becoming a PIA data for in some cases as well. So do you see the distribution chance sort of becoming a huge, huge blocker for you as we move to a more privacy-focused world? I honestly don't think so. I don't know how I feel about push notifications, but I think if you do them right and you do them at the right time to the right people, it's not that difficult to be able to get them. But we as game developers abused the power that we had with push notifications and made a poor experience. And that is on us. And now it's on us to establish the trust with our users and get them back into the trust and, and rely on things. And I think it's the same thing with the email and stuff. Honestly, I don't think it's about thinking about it from our perspective and the delivery and how many people are opted in or whatnot. It's thinking about it from the user perspective. What notifications do you get that are actually meaningful and that you care about and that you're happy that you got? Usually, it's got to provide something very valuable to you. It's got to communicate something, you know, very important to you. And, you know, you got to provide this. Uh, I think Supercell honestly does a really good job of this. Like, they don't send push notifications for, like, special deals or, you know, all these things like that. And some games do, and they make money off of it. but it's not really that great of a user experience unless the user wants to know about that, right? If they're a whale and they don't want to miss out on a deal, maybe they do, but they should be in control of that, I think. I think you want to wait until you establish authority. Like in Slatomania, when you're playing that game, they don't ask you for push notifications. It's not like immediately you get into the game and there's the push notification, which I've seen a lot of games do. And when I push back on it, they're like, oh, but we A-B tested it and we got a higher opt-in rate. And I'm like, well, I don't think that means anything. And, you know, Slatomania, you play for a while and eventually you discover there's like this little like red icon that's like this daily reward and you collect it and you get like 25,000 free coins. That feels pretty good. And then they pop up a little thing that's like, hey, would you like to be notified of, you know, every time these free rewards are available to you? And if you say yes, then they give you the pop-up notification, you opt in. And then I don't actually remember exactly what they send to you, but if I was doing it, I would start establishing that trust with them. And I would only send notifications when there's free rewards and stuff so that I establish that notifications are going to come when I get free stuff because I'm getting value as the user and I actually I kind of appreciate these notifications. So it's more like opt-in what you're saying, like you opt-in into... Yeah. So treating people like yeah. people, right? You know. Do you think some of this comes down to company structure? Because it, it, it's quite funny. For me, you, have, you normally have the product side of the... Again, it goes into this triangle. And you have the product side of the business that are doing the, the local push notifications, like when a bonus is ready and that sort of stuff. And then you have the live ops guys who are sending out the sort of marketing push notifications and that sort of stuff of a big events and that kind of thing. But when you actually install the game and try it for yourself and just see just how many notifications you're getting hit with, you sort of realize that although they're, they're different sides running it, you know, the, the end user just sees 
<laughs> a whole bunch of push notifications arriving on their device. Yeah, we're actually building out some stuff with one of our kind of early partners related to this, where they wanted more flexibility and user-wise to control not just ours, but also the local. So again, as I said, user-wise kind of gets integrated into the game really closely. So being able to control local and these, so I can do things like, if the user's been in a game, I'm going to silence all notifications for the next two hours, or I'm not going to send any notifications from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. or whatnot. So you can just like silence and have more control. Also looking at giving users the ability to like within their settings, like I want to get notifications for these things. So I could opt into those special deals or I could opt out of them so that, you know, I'm not just getting spammed with all this stuff and then I just turn them off or whatnot. You know, I, I really think it comes down to treating people like people, treating them with respect, understanding that they've got busy, valuable lives and your game is a small part of that, right? And you should be happy that your game is a small part of that because hopefully they do it for years and years. It's definitely one thing that I would say to anybody who's listening to this at the moment to just go away and install your app, whatever app that you're marketing, and just and look at it from a, a user's perspective and just see whether it would annoy the hell out of you or not. <laughs> That's for all product Livebox and UA people. <laughs> Definitely, but it, it is. It falls on any user acquisition person who's marketing the game would be looking or should be looking at is the LiveOps performing in it is the retention good enough in the game? Because there's no point in me bringing in lots and lots of traffic to find that that traffic's just disappearing from the game, you know, and it has to monetize and that sort of stuff. So I do think it is the responsibility of, of all parties. Agreed. Yeah, no, definitely, Adam. It's, it's rightly put. It's just that, unfortunately, it doesn't happen in the <laughs> real world. But it should be that way, because if you don't understand your game, how can you market it? How can you, how can you even become a product manager? It is way cheaper don't... to retain your users or to re-engage them than it is to buy them outright all over again. I'll also comment on email a little bit. I don't personally have a lot of experience with this. We do have it scoped out as a project that we'll probably build sometime at UserWise whenever people want this. Um, but a lot of game developers, especially post-GDPR, just haven't wanted to collect email. But I wanted to add email to a game that I was building. How I would do it is I would, again, at some point in time when I decide that it's valuable, I would ask users to opt in to email to get a special unique gift that I only get through email. And then maybe once a week, I would send something that is unique and special and you only get through your email. And ideally, other players can see that they get this. And they're like, oh, how do I get that? Oh, I've got to opt into my email and stuff. Would you not do that as part of a, a sign-up process? Because now yeah. with, with iOS 14 and stuff, it, it's quite good to have like some form of sign-up process. So you as a company know more about the user and that sort of stuff. You could, in theory, build it in as part of that process. You could. But you know, again, I think it's like I've got to have some valuable, unique reason to keep getting these emails and it's got to be meaningful. Now, if it's a game I love and I get something special and unique for getting these emails versus like I can get the same thing just going into the game altogether. Like if I'm getting the same things in the email and then it's just spam to me, right? But if it's delivering something of value, well then I probably want to keep getting these emails or whatnot. But Tom, wouldn't with this logic, the scale would be somewhat lower. I mean, again, it's going, it's going back to everybody opting in by default versus people opting in by choice, right, in certain sense. So don't you think the scale would be lower? Because when you're showing, when you're opening the game and it uh, shows a sign-up page and then you sign up using your Gmail ID, you at least get the email ID. 
versus when you're doing an opt-in by choice, maybe at a later stage, you, people would opt-in, but at that stage, a lot of users have already not played the game and you don't know, you don't have any data about those users. Does the scale necessarily matter? I mean, like, if you have people opted in for push notifications or for emails or whatnot, like, if they're no longer playing the game, does it add any value at all? Um, you look back to game of isn't you it, look back to game of war. Isn't it more of a retention tool, though? I mean, in in terms of if they're no longer playing the game, it's the only channel that you could use that would potentially contact them and try yeah. and get them to install the game again. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's why I encourage people to, you know, explore email or whatnot. And I'm not saying that the, the opt-in process has to be super far into the game. Like it could be on day one, but you at least want them to play the game and be engaged. Like if you hit me with an email sign up, like after I've like just downloaded the game or whatnot, like why would I do that? I don't know if I like the game. I don't know if I'm going to stick around. You're offering yeah, me, you're not you're offering me coins for doing it. I have no yeah. idea what coins are used for. You got to get to a certain point. And every game is going to be a little bit different in how you do that. But like, I definitely think there's value in collecting out early. But you still got to... Because it's one thing to get the email, but it's another thing to be able to deliver it. It's the same thing with like push notifications. It's one thing to have push notifications, but it's another thing for them to keep that on and keep getting those messages, right? It's very easy to hit spam. It's very easy to mute those notifications. All right, I think we're running a bit of time. So Adam, I think this, this is your episode. You are very excited about this, so I'll let you ask the last question. Please go ahead. Okay, so with, with the, I'm really interested to know, actually, with the, the changes from Apple, quite recently where they can you can offer a direct payment method through the games now and that sort of stuff i'm interested to know what your take would be on on bringing in some form of of direct payment method and and how you would go about doing it if at all i mean it's it's uh, it's an open question I don't swear much, but I would say, hell yeah, uh, of course I would. Like, why wouldn't I? You're, you're getting more money and you don't necessarily have to deal with, you know, Google and Apple or whatnot. But I would caveat that, that I would probably do it at a, a certain scale for an early company or like a, a newer game or something like that. You've got thousands of different things that need to be done, right? And realistically, only like three of them are going to be the most important things you got more than three nothing is important right but, but also it, it potentially creates more friction in the whole payment process you know the, i mean apple and google are you know they they charge the money for it but they are it is very fluid sometimes it breaks for me sometimes and i can't even like get apple to do stuff you know they claim that it's amazing and then their crap doesn't work and it really pisses me off because i just you know want my stuff nothing is perfect um i personally find stripe to be very effective when i'm in chrome and i hit stripe and even on my ios phone it populates all of my credit card details for me and i don't think apple would make it that easy for you within the context of you know the game or whatnot but literally if i'm playing a game and it's like my game and I want to spend money on it and I know I'm going to spend more money on it. And people that are spending money on it probably have that idea and relationship. If I'm getting markedly more content for the same dollar, why wouldn't I do that? Uh, especially if I know I'm going to like keep playing that and you just save my credit card on file. So yeah, it's slightly more work up front, but I get a lot more for me as the user. And after that initial hump like registering for amazon now it's seamless and easy just like doing it in apple right 
Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question. In terms of utilizing live ops and being able to do cross promotion, I think is probably one of the areas that it would be most used for in correlation with user acquisition. But how would you go about sort of setting up the whole cross promotion aspect? Okay, so I'm I'm super excited about this idea, and we're actually working with a a rather large publisher building this out in user wise to be a lot more seamless and stuff. Um, they've got you know like tens of millions of uh, daily active users amongst their different games. So they they have a lot of different games, and many of them are very popular. And a lot of their games are sort of similar, but also quite different. But like players that enjoy one of their games also likely enjoy other games. So I I don't think you should cross-promote games that one group of players would like that another one wouldn't. I have doubts about like how supercell just cross promoted the uh the beat beat saber whatever the the beat star game yeah you know they they took these high value users put them into a game that they might not enjoy as much and different things but when they did it with cross promoting between clash of clans and clash royale that fit amazingly well and i think that did really great for them but that's like new that's like cross promoting ua i think there's also cross promoting live ops which is what we're doing with this publisher yeah. Basically, in game A, I've got this live ops event going on. And then in game B, I can have a campaign set up in user-wise that lets people know, hey, this awesome thing is going on in this other game. And if you go and engage and do that event, not only will you get cool stuff in that game, but you'll also get cool stuff back in this game. So why wouldn't you do that? So that like leverages players not only to engage in game one, but they go and engage in game two. And it still, you know, boosts the retention because you get this super cool thing back in game one. And so now you've got this player that's playing in two of your games and hopefully monetizing a little bit in both of them. And I guess it, it, it creates stickiness because they have to play for a certain amount of time or achieve certain things in the, the new game that they've installed, right? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you always run the risk when you cross-promote that a player is going to leave your game to play your new game. I mean, I did that in Clash of Clans when I went to Clash Royale. But but you know what? They kept me in the ecosystem, and I probably would have churned for something else. So I think no player is going to play your game forever, or very, very few. So if you can cross-promote and keep them in this like new, fun game within your ecosystem and your genre, that is more valuable and more cost-effective than losing them to another game and trying to acquire them in, right? Yeah, it's more costly. For sure. I mean, that that was my question as well, that, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, users are going to leave your game, but you answered it perfectly. Anyway, I think, again, thanks, Tom, once again, <laughs> for taking up the last question, because we wanted to have this conversation and uh, appreciate you taking out the time. It was really interesting chat. So thank you. Yeah, this is great. Thanks, gents. Okay, that was a great conversation. And just like the last three episodes, I've got so many more questions that I want to ask Tom. So we might have The next one is on me. You know, you, you keep on bringing me into these conversations. The next one is on my territory. I'm going to bring in Admon or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> one day we're just going to have super long episodes that we, you know, we'll just be able to ask all the questions that we want to ask. Uh, okay, a special thanks to our guest Tom and of course our partners at AppsFlyer. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of Level Up UA podcast, please be sure to rate and leave a review. We have so much more to bring to you. So hit that subscribe button. And join us next week as we level up UA.